Heavenly Father, as we open your word, please open our hearts and our minds to receive by your Holy Spirit. Encourage and equip us in all areas of life to live kingdom first, every day of every week of every year, for your honor and glory in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. This morning, my two-month-old was a little fussy. Uh, He wanted a little more attention than he normally does, and at one point, he just screamed for a long time. Until we got him into the van, got him into his car seat, and took off. Um, I don't know about your kids, but pretty much all of my kids have responded to that moving vehicle thing. So as they may be really upset, but once you get them in there, they kind of calm down and start to go to sleep. Well, there's a turn lane that's just near our home. It's how we turn off of Main onto Teal. And we get up, and I'm in the front. And the straight lane turns green, and that one turns green. And then these people start turning, and then all the lights go red. And my child is starting to get grumpy, and I'm like, where's our turn? Like, you literally just skipped our turn. We did not get in the rotation, and then they start going this way. And I'm like, of all the times, like right now, because he's just ramping up, he's ready to just let it go, if I could have just gone on my turn. And I thought, how many things in our lives do we have no control over? Or at least very little control. I mean, I thought about running the red light, but I was wearing a collar. (laughs) And I was pretty sure if I endangered the lives of my children, my wife would have an issue with that. So I just stayed and listened to the child scream. But the number of plans and desires and things that we want that don't end up turning out the way we thought they would turn out. I went to school to be a teacher. In fact, I went to seminary to actually be a professor. Not this. I went to Dallas Theological Seminary to be a part of a Bible church. Not this. I followed a girl named Dana to college to marry her. I plan to stop at three children. I have a beautiful fourth right now. But I mean, I have all these plans. I have all these things that I thought out that I'm like, this is what's going. And I'm discovering more and more over years of living that I just don't get to control a lot of them. But here's the things that James showed me about some of this. Not just that I don't have control, it's that I'm approaching some of these things in a very prideful way. It's not just that I thought something was going to happen or I started planning for this thing to happen and yet it turned out that it happened this way, but that over here, in some of these cases, I was acting in pride. Open up your Bible if you would. To James chapter 4. We're continuing our series here. James chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 10 just to see a connection here. Um, I said this, and I've said it multiple times since the beginning. Um, There's a lot of debate on how all of these various things click together in James. 
Um, because his topics sometimes seem to kind of jump, like he's going from one topic to another topic, as opposed to, as you follow Paul through kind of argumentation, James doesn't seem that way, which means you read scholars and they're all over the map on how things connect. And in some cases, they just give up. There is no connection. James just moves on to another topic. I'm gonna give you my opinion as I have been giving you all the way through. I think there's a connection between verse 10 and what he does in 11. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. We talked all last week about the idea of usurping God's authority in our lives by giving in to our own passions and not including him in them. When we get lost in our passions, whether they're good or bad, where God is absent from them, we lose track. We go the wrong direction. We get off course. And his answer was, humble yourself. Admit your fault. Come before God and let him direct you. Well, in this thing where it's humble yourselves, I think verse 11 begins to talk about pride. Here's the opposite. Now, he's gonna connect a bunch of things that he started from the beginning. He's gonna go back to the law. He's gonna talk about all the stuff he's been talking about in verses one through 10, but specifically pride. And here's the two areas I believe he addresses. Number one is how we see people. And number two is how we see our own lives. And much like in my case, if I look back at how I was planning, there is an element of pride in my planning. And I'm gonna show you what that pride is by looking at what James says. And then you can see if it's in yours. So verse 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Now he said similar things already, but he has a different approach. He's got a different angle and it deals with pride. And notice the language. He just called them an adulterous people. Now he's back to brothers, right? So all the way through this epistle, it's like he's building and he's building and he's building. And then in chapter four, he just unleashes. Like, here's where I was going with all this. And now he's coming back down, right? And so it's back to brothers. And here's why you're not to speak evil. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother, and those two things are similar, right? It's not two completely distinct ideas, when you speak against a brother or a sister, you're also judging them. When you do that, you speak evil against the law. Now, that's not a way I usually think about it. I certainly don't say something against my brother and suddenly go, yeah, I'm also speaking against the law. And judges the law. What is he talking about? How is it that when I, and I'm going to pick on Tom here because he's in the front row, if I speak evil against Tom, if I judge Tom, how is it that I'm judging the law or I'm speaking evil against the law? Well, the law, as we read earlier from Leviticus, specifically says not to slander one another. So what does it mean when you're slandering somebody? You are, just, you are determining you are higher than the law. I don't care what the law says. I'm gonna go ahead and slander you anyway. I'm gonna place myself in a position higher than the law. In fact, the reason I'm speaking evil against the law is I'm deciding it's wrong 
and I'm going to do what I want. And it's not just Leviticus 19. Think about Jesus. What are we supposed to do with our enemies? Love them. Love your enemies. Not slander, not speak evil, not judge. Love your enemies. So when you decide to speak evil against your brother or judge them, you're also judging Jesus and deciding that you have a place above him. And in fact, James now brings it back to what he's been saying. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law. All along through James, what has he been talking about? We've got to do our faith. We've got to live our faith. And specifically with the law, he came to the love your neighbors yourself, which he's going to come back to. Love your neighbor. Well, you can't be loving your neighbor if you're judging your neighbor. You can't be loving your neighbor if you're speaking evil against your neighbor. So instead of being a doer of the law, you're a judge. And not only that, he pushes further. There is only one lawgiver and judge. And you know who he's talking about, right? He doesn't even need to say the rest of it. There's only one lawgiver and judge. And we talked about this too, that the law was personal, that it reflected God. And so when you go against that, it's going against his character. Well, there's only one of them. How arrogant do I have to be to put myself in the place of the lawgiver or the judge? There's only one lawgiver, one judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? And in parentheses, instead of loving your neighbor as the law calls you to. This is hardcore. I mean, this should make us kind of think the next time we start judging. Like, it's not just, well, here's my opinion on somebody. It's not just words, but there's something deeper going on as we are, according to James, judging the law, speaking evil against the law, which means we're also putting ourselves in the place of the lawgiver and speaking against him. Last Sunday, the LA Rams took on the Green Bay Packers. The LA Rams are 7-0 and at that point undefeated, coming to take on Green Bay. Now, I don't really like to talk much about Green Bay, especially when Kathy Archer is in the room. (laughs) Eventually, we'll convert her. No, that'll never happen. (laughs) The world will fall apart before that happens. But here's what I can say about Green Bay. Whether I like them or dislike them, Aaron Rodgers is an incredible quarterback. He is one of the best there has been. And here's what happened in that game last week. L.A. scored two-point differential at the end of the game. They are kicking to Green Bay with just over two minutes left. They only need a field goal. They have a chance to give Aaron Rodgers the ball with just over two minutes and a timeout to get to a point just to kick a field goal and to beat the undefeated Rams. However, if you followed sports, some people are already laughing because they know what happened. Ty Montgomery, the running back, who just a couple sequences before that was pulled off the field 
and was ticked, threw his helmet, did all this kind of stuff, he was explicitly told to take a knee when he got the ball. That will bring it out to the 25. You know what he did? He ran it out. And then he fumbled it. And I'll tell you what, Aaron Rodgers, I cannot repeat what he was saying on the sideline. (laughs) But let me ask you, what was Ty Montgomery saying when his coaches explicitly told him, take a knee, and he ran it out anyway because he wanted to? Who was in charge in Ty Montgomery's mind in that point? Ty Montgomery. When we slander our brothers and sisters, when we speak evil, we are saying we are in charge, not God. We are judging. And we are judging the law and God. That's our first point of pride, how we see each other, how we make our judgments. Here's the second. Verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow... We will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Now, on the surface, let me just say this. There is nothing wrong with planning. Please don't hear me say as I go through this section that I think you should just like close your eyes and walk through life and trust God. That is not the message, right? But what you need to see in the planning is... Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town. That's what we're going to do. We're going to spend a year there, and we're going to trade, and we're going to make a profit. I've got all my plans made out. Here's what's missing from the planning. There is no God in that planning. It is just the person deciding, I'm going to do this and this, and this is going to happen. By the way, that's where some of my own pride came in, is I thought, I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to marry this person. I'm going to have this many kids. Much of that was disconnected from a regular seeking of God. I'm not saying I never prayed, but I was mostly just figuring out my plans, which is exactly what's happening here. How we see our lives. And it's very practical, by the way. Are you planning out your own life disconnected from God on a regular, consistent basis? Because here's what James says about that. Verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. I couldn't even get through a stinking traffic light today, let alone plan out my future. For what for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And that's part of my point about, I mean, how much control do we actually have? Yes, there are things we can do and we should be doing them. We should make plans. You should save money. I mean, all of these things. You should go to work and do the best you can. If you don't have a job and you need one, you should look for a job. I'm not asking anybody to be dumb. However, If you were doing those things isolated from a regular, consistent seeking of God, there is pride in that. Because much like looking at a neighbor and just going, well, 
I'm judging that person. No, you're actually judging the law, which says not to do that. It's deeper than you think. This is deeper too. It's not just not making a plan. It's saying, I have what I need and the control I need to make this happen. And God, I don't really need you in it. How prideful is that? There is one lawgiver and there is one person running this universe. I'm not him. And I am 99.9999% sure nobody in this room is that person. I'm leaving a little tiny room there just in case I'm wrong because I've been wrong a lot. Pretty sure not about this. How does God play in your everyday life, your everyday decisions, your moment to moment, your existence with your spouse or your kids or your friends or your job? How is God within those decisions? Is he there? Is he absent? Is he somewhere in between? I read this beautiful story today, or not today, it was like three days ago. Um, this, this lady's name, and again, some of you may have read about this because it's really current. Um, her name is Aisha Champs. And this lady had, she was growing up, she was in and out of foster homes. She was homeless twice in her life. She was a mess. By the time she got to, what would the age be? Somewhere around, well, she was a teenager. She started started having kids as a teenager. She lost her husband to cancer. Five children she's raising by herself. You know what she just did? She just graduated from law school at 33. That is pretty incredible. Raising five kids by yourself after everything she went through and graduating from law school at 33 years of age. I mean, I can barely get out of bed some days and I only have four kids and I have a spouse helping me. She put herself through law school. Now, if anybody has the right to boast, to brag, to like say, look what I've done, would you agree with me that Aisha deserves that? And yet, as she's interviewed by the news, here's what she said. I often sit back and think about my life and myself in awe of what God has done. First thing, I still can't believe that God allowed me to become an attorney. Growing up, I never understood why I had to endure such, some of the things that I did, but it was all for a time such as this, something I didn't know then. I am beyond grateful for everything and overall grateful that God chose little old me. I didn't ask for any of this. God just gave it to me, and I will reverence him in all that I do. Now, I'm going to read a couple other things that she wrote, because after reading that in the news, I, as I usually do, I went and did research on her, and I went to her Facebook page. I'm going to read you the posts. Continue to praise God and rejoice when you're going through hell and back. Remember, the devil won't attack anyone who God doesn't have a purpose for. He's bothering you for a reason. Next post. I don't care how many alphabets are placed behind my name. I'm still nothing without God. And that's a fact. Next post. Now see God, I didn't even ask to be on the news. And here you go, showing out again. 
Whoever counted me out miscalculated because God counted me in. Next post. God, you did that. You allowed me to pass the bar exam. Hallelujah, God, all glory belongs to you. I had to go 15 posts to find one that didn't reference God. This lady is living the kinds of things that James is talking about. She's seeing everything in her life connected to God. Her law degree, her children, her past, all of it. And she just keeps going, God, as long as you're doing it. And when it happens, God, that is you. That's what James is talking about. That's what we're all called to. Living that life that is always seeing him. In fact, that is exactly what James means when he goes on to write this. Instead, verse 15, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And I wanna say something about this. James is not giving you that little like cliche saying where you go, okay, this is what I wanna do. Well, if God wants it, now let's go on. It's not what he means. It is much deeper than that. Because for James, it is a constant looking for God's will. It is a constant being in God's word so that I know what his will is and I'm living in it. It's not just a throwaway statement, but it's literally, God, if this is what you will, these things are gonna happen. And if it's not, I'm walking in your will and I'm ready to go where you want me to go. This is not a cliche kind of saying. In fact, here's how, so one of the passages that we read um, where the guy with the barn and he's just piling stuff up, there's nothing wrong with saving things. There's something very wrong when you don't include God within it. Because guess what? As James said, you're a mist. And if that happens, what happens when you're gone? Like it can happen any moment. We don't have control over that. James is like, no, stick in God's will. Keep thinking of God. Keep thinking of his will. Jesus says it like this. Seek first the kingdom. We say it like this in our mission statement. Live kingdom first. And what we're meaning by that is not, it's not just a cliche. It's not just something we want to say that might sound good. It means take everything else in your life and put it after the kingdom. Everything you're doing, what would this look like through the kingdom? How I see people, how I talk to people, how I do my job, how I raise my kids. What would it look like if I'm doing it through the kingdom? Because I want that to be first. And we got a little glimpse of what it looks like to live something first, hey, if you happen to see that Rams-Packers game, you know how it ended. The fumble happens, Rams get the ball back, they hand it off to Todd Gurley. Now, let me just give you a little background real quickly. Todd Gurley, if you play fantasy football, he's all over the place because his stats are ridiculous. If you're a fantasy football player, you like Todd Gurley. He already had over 100 yards running, 84 yards receiving. He already had a touchdown and a two-point conversion. Now, a couple other little things for you. The over-under was 57 points. The stretch was seven and a half points. Todd Gurley got the ball, 
got past the defender and could have run in for a touchdown. If he had made the touchdown, fantasy players would have been ecstatic. Vegas would have been ecstatic. He'd have got the over and the stretch. And he'd have padded his own stats. Two touchdowns. When you only have 16 games, every touchdown means something. You know what he did? He slowed down and got tackled. Why? So then they could run out the clock and not give Aaron Rodgers the ball back. Even in that moment, this football player, and later on, everybody's like, there are people angry at him. And he goes, forget fantasy and forget Vegas. We won the game, that's all that matters. Now, I just want you to think for a moment what it takes in the mind of a football player right in the middle of the game to know exactly what you need to do, which is totally opposite of any other point. When in a football game do you slow down to be tackled? Never. But in that moment, what he knew is that was the better thing for his team. That was a live LA Rams first. He put everything else behind him. Live kingdom first. God first in everything we're doing. His kingdom first in all the decisions we're making. Now, why? Here's how James ends. As it is, verse 16, you boast in your arrogance. All pride that goes against God is arrogance. And it will be shown for that in the end. All such boasting is evil. That's harsh language. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Again, strong language. Not, oh, it's just a mistake. You know, it's no big deal. Uh, You got a written warning. James says, when you know what the right thing is, and right here I need to apologize to all of you. Here's my apology. You have no excuse now. You know how you're supposed to look at people and how that compares to the law. You know how you're supposed to look at your life and your planning. So when you do the wrong thing, it is sin, according to James. How's that for hardcore? But I want to give you another thought. I want to add to something. And it's very biblical. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament and works its way through. Here's a statement for you. What you put your attention on is what will shape your life. What you focus on, that will shape your life. That is why they were told to write things on their door frames. It's why in the Psalms you have this meditating on the law day and night. It's why Paul talks about renewing your mind. Because what you put your attention on is what shapes you. It's why Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Not the other way around. But where you put your treasure, your heart's going to follow that. Because where your attention is, it shapes your life. So what would it mean if your attention is on regularly, consistently seeking God? 
regularly, consistently, in his word, seeing his will, and trying to live that out? What happens if that becomes our focus? What shapes our life? That. Now, on the other hand, what is shaping our life if it's all on us? If we're not including him, if we're making our plans, if we're making the judgments on people, if we're making the judgments on situations, what's shaping our life? Me. Well, I'm not shaping your life, but what we put our attention on shapes our lives. There's a 79-year-old man named Marvin Schneider. He is the New York clockmaster. And because of daylight savings ending, the last couple of weeks for him, he's had a very particular role that he has twice a year. While most of the clocks are electronic, there are still some of these big clock towers. There's still some of the clocks within some of the government buildings where they have to be manually changed. And he's been going around making changes on these clocks. Here's what's interesting about his story. Well, actually, there's two things. One is he still uses a little oil can that looks like the Tin Man from Wizard of Oz. <laughs> 79 year old man. Still climbs up into these clock towers. But what's interesting is he is not trained to work on clocks. He's the first clockmaster in New York since the 1800s because the whole position just kind of went away. And he wasn't trained doing this. Back in the 70s, he was with the city, but it had nothing to do with clocks. But he would walk by this one clock and it was broken. It was always broken and it drove him nuts. And so, sorry, somebody's texting me right in the middle of my sermon. Didn't turn that off. Chris, no. What he did do when he was younger is he used to take clocks apart. He was fascinated. He couldn't get back together, but he'd take them apart. Well, he asked the city, on my lunch break, can I start working on this clock? And they said yes. So he went around and he talked to all these other clockmakers, and he learned how to do this on the job. And he finally got this clock working. Well, the city was like, that's great. Do you want to fix any more? Yeah, I'd love to. So part of his job began to be fixing clocks. And he did this for years, and he grew in it. And he learned all of the rhythms. In fact, he describes now that once he gets a clock going, he actually listens to it. He said, I can hear a certain rhythm in the gears. And that tells me if it's right. And he became the clock master in 1992, officially. Retired from another job. That's all he does now. He's retired, but he still does this. But he became... His life was shaped by the thing that he focused on to the point that decades later, it had moved him in a direction where he was a clock master. I really, really personally want to be an apprentice of Jesus Christ. And I want that to be where I'm going. And I want to be decades down the road and be like, yes, because of the way that I focused on him He's been shaping my life to where I became this. But here's the thing, and I think we just, we need to hear this because what I hear from our congregation just right now in this moment, there's so many people going, yes, that's what I want. And what I want to tell you 
is it doesn't matter what's happened in the past. It matters what's happening right now moving forward. But if you ever start thinking to yourself, you know, I've just messed up so many times. Or like, I don't know how to get that part right. Like I've made all these decisions on my own. How am I possibly gonna get right and start moving that direction with God? You're gonna start right now. Here's one of the fascinating things that Marvin does. So our clocks, thankfully, I woke up this morning and I was like, wow, I feel like better than I normally do. But it's only 6.45. It was 7.45. I kind of forgotten all about it. It just, it reset its own. I got an extra hour of sleep. It was beautiful. But those clocks that you have to reset manually, you can't make them go backwards because he said it'll mess up the gears. He can only go forward. So he has to go all the way around 11 hours to get it to the right spot one hour back. We can only go forward. You can't change the past. And more importantly, you can't let the past drag you down. You gotta recognize that God has you right here, right now, to begin those steps or to continue them wherever you are in your walk. To say, kingdom first, God. What you want above all things. And I'm gonna move that direction because where we put our focus is what shapes our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son, Jesus, who did everything we needed to live for you, to be in relationship with you, to know forgiveness and hope, to know new starts every day as we sing, your mercy is new every day. And so, Lord, as we hear this message, knowing that some of it is hard, knowing that probably every one of us, we have made prideful decisions about people, about our own lives. Lord, let us confess those things and move forward, seeking you in everything we're doing, finding new rhythms where you're a part of our everyday life in everything that we do, that we might be shaped by your kingdom, by your will, by your love, that we might be the people you've called us to be. We ask this in the name of Jesus, amen.